Hi, I'm Nicola. And I'm Jay Percy. And welcome, welcome to the, the Afro Animist Podcast. We are two animists and spiritual practitioners exploring the secular through the spiritual, discussing life experiences through a sacred lens. Each week we share our experiences and dive deep into everything in life, from philosophy, metaphysics, obeah, occultism, shamanism, culture, healing, nature, animism, the arts, pop culture, conspiracies, psychedelics and witchcraft. Nothing is off the table in these discussions which aim to get to the heart of what it means to be spiritual and Afro-diasporic in an increasingly sterile and authoritarian world. We keep it real whilst exploring the biggest mysteries of our multiverse. Join us holding this space to laugh, cry, debate, build community and tear down oppressive structures. Welcome, 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 beautiful, beautiful being of the multiverse to the Afro Animist podcast. You are here with me today, Jay Percy. And me, Nicola Roth. And we have yet again another wonderful, wonderful guest. I'm very excited to talk to her. So, yes, we are very, very excited to have on um, Elizabeth Essa Flett today. Um, Elizabeth Flett. We'll be calling her Essa, going on out though, <laughs> is an award-winning Scottish musician, theatre maker and writer. Her successes as a folk musician include reaching the semi-finals for the BBC Radio 2 Young Folk Awards 2017 as a part of duo Shamblestone and the semi-finals of BBC Radio Scotland Young Traditional Musician 2021. Oh. She's a member of notable folk groups and ensembles such as, um, sorry if I butcher this, Joglaressa and Bogafro. Uh, a, a solid attempt. Uh, Boafrosh. Boafrosh. What language is that? Uh, that's Scottish Gaelic, yeah. <gasps> Fabulous. Wow. Boafrosh. Queer voices in folk and has featured on al- albums by artists such as Daisy Shute and Lewis Barfoot. She recently graduated from the um, MLIT course in ethnology and folklore from the Elphinstone Institute in Aberdeen. And alongside her work as a professional performer, won prizes. Wow, this, this is just, this is fabulous. You can stop now. Yeah. This is, this is, this is <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to read off everything. <laughs> <laughs> She's she's highly decorated, guys. Highly, <laughs> highly decorated. decorated. As someone has found strength and professional growth over the last few years, identifying as an openly queer and feminist writer, she is also increasingly committed to incorporating her interest in the esoteric into her projects alongside those other aspects of her identity to furthermore ensure that she is creating work that honors her full self. And we absolutely love that. We love to have artists of various forms here who integrate Mm -hmm. that into different sides of their self and is that what originally like brought you to um the magical women's conference yeah so hi yeah well done that was quite the bio Uh, (laughs) that was that was the one that I think I sent into that conference and uh, it's one thing to uh you know maybe have a little bit of imposter syndrome and be thinking about how you can make the longest bio that you can in the world and quite another thing <laughs> that someone have to try and read it out so well done uh hi so excited to be on the podcast um we're so great- excited to have you <laughs> great to be here um yeah i was at the magical women's conference in a folkloric capacity as a folk musician talking about um folk music's role in the witchcraft trials in the 1600s and how it perpetuated uh, prejudice during that time period, but how it's also being used to speak to that period of history now and start to kind of heal that period of history in really powerful ways. And it really spoke to me as someone who has a personal interest in the esoteric and comes up against it quite often. And Well, not against it, but comes up uh into situations where it's talked about quite often in my job as well so there was that double interest I guess yeah that's Amazing. absolutely fabulous and I, I think it's it's just so beautiful to have um Scottish folklorists here because you know the history is so rich 
Um, mm. I don't feel like in the day to day we talk about the the rich history of this land of, uh, you know, well, I'm not in Scotland, but uh, my um, my great grandmother who only passed away when I was 16, when she was in her 90s, she was uh, Scottish and I actually didn't know that until very very hmm. recently <laughs> when I went to my grandmother's house and she was doing the sword dance she had a picture of oh, her wow. with the sword <laughs> dance with her <laughs> and I said well, why are you doing that she's like well my mom's Scottish it's like, how did I not know this the surname is Dahl so I assumed they were Swedish or whatever they've told me all this time so I'm so fascinated to have you here just from that perspective well, and great to have a fellow Scot as well in the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, now I feel left out. <laughs> yeah, we'll start sword dancing later. It'll be great. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so up for that. I'm so up for it. Um, oh, your talk was actually amazing. It was one that we, we weren't really able was. to see a lot, but your one really hit us. I was just there like, what? What? Also, because there was a moment, Jay knows what I'm going to say, when um you put a broadside up on the projector and you were talking about the persecution of these of these I don't know if it's a family of girls I can't quite remember now or women um and the accuser was someone named Henry Roth my last name is Roth and Roth is a very (laughs) very 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 rare name and I was literally sitting there like well almost definitely some kind of ancestor (laughs) He will be turning in his grave and I'm so excited to make him do that. Um, so I was like, we need, we need to talk to you. Um, gosh, it was just, it's just so interesting to think about like the, the link of folk music. And I guess I hadn't really thought about it in that way before, before I'd seen your, your speech. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that I really want you to talk to our listeners about today is a little bit about the connection of folk music and esoterica and also kind of what you were saying about in Scotland you have this massive folk music culture but you don't necessarily have the link there so much and you know the reasons why you know that link isn't there yeah it was so interesting yeah so So. I'm so glad that you enjoyed my talk it was a really fantastic day where I met so many different women just really living in their power and living their best lives and it was a very uh moving experience for me to meet so many people that were just so open and kind and friendly and it was I had I had a lovely time it was great (laughs) uh yeah so one of the things I ended up talking about in the discussion after my talk in the Q&A panel afterwards where uh, we got a radio mic and we got a fancy table and it was all very fancy schmancy uh first time that I've had a radio mic I had a lot of fun uh was the difference in my personal opinion between how the esoteric how witchcraft paganism etc is treated uh societally in Scotland and in England and I and what I was suggesting in that panel talk was that I think that that really hard line Protestant movement of John Knox, which was coming out about the same time as Mary Queen of Scots, if English listeners have maybe hear, heard about that part of Scottish history. Um, uh-huh. It was a really, really serious clamp down on witchcraft in a way that England didn't quite see ever in the same um, furiosity. So one uh, statistic, and I might be jumping the gun here because I know that one of the questions for today is, what was something you found really interesting researching the podcast? But I'll just, I'll give a teaser to that right now. And I'll say one of the things that maybe interesting is the wrong word, but striking to me was that 500 people were murdered in England during the witchcraft trials, which is a terrible amount of people to die. 500 too many. Uh, it is also worth noting that 2,500 people died in Scotland. So the fervor was at a different level really and Mm. that impact historically has felt itself echo down the centuries so you get to the point where English folk music I feel has much more of an affinity to the other to witchiness you've got Morris dancing you've got green men you've got 
uh i forget the technical name but the the burr man with all the all the kind of nature on him like there's more of an understanding that is to do with season and welcoming in seasons and saying goodbye to seasons and summoning different seasons when they need to be summoned whereas in scotland it's more like a it's a dance culture it's a Kaylee culture um you might have a piper at your funeral but it would be a christian funeral so it's in- just interesting how those two traditions have diverged in their paths i think i guess what you're saying is you feel that sort of paganness of what was intrinsic to that was really wiped out really decimated completely in scotland whereas in england there's remnants of nods towards it there is still some more of that Mm. magical culture that is actually spoken about not as much as we'd like but still (laughs) spoken out a little more well and I think the interesting flip side of that is that as a Scottish person who came down to London to study at uh, the Guildhall School of Music and Drama back in the day back in 2013 uh, I was really shocked as a Scottish folk musician by how not mainstream English folk music was. I was used to it just being part of culture. You did Burns Night, you did Kaylee dancing at school, you, mm-hmm. you know, you've done Remembrance Sunday parade, you know, probably with a, yeah. with school or whatever. Maybe you grew up in the church where there was always a piper. You you probably had a friend or a mate that was in a pipe band growing up you probably were made to do highland dancing as a kid or your sister was made to do highland dancing as a kid you know it's in there it's part of life and then you get to england and i turned up and was like okay so where's the folk music and people were like what's that exactly it just wasn't there and that was such a strange uh culture shock really to be like wow most people in england don't have much of a link to their cultural uh musical language and i guess that's Mm. the price that's being paid you still have that more esoteric link but it's been sidelined a bit more possibly because of that at some point during societal history yeah Uh it's it's so interesting from the culture Yeah, it is. It is really sad. I also find it, you know, as an English person, I have in my brain just a feeling that Scotland, Ireland and Wales are one billion percent more magical. Like these places. (laughs) And I always feel like when I meet Scottish people as well, I have so many Scottish friends that I love and they are so deeply connected. Um, And it's just really interesting to hear even kind of how you know even though christianity is is still the way that things are done there <clears throat> that there is this cultural heritage that you kind of have and i think that's maybe what it is that i feel you know this connection to language this connection to music that we don't really have in the same way mm. in england um what what kind of i don't I'm, I'm trying to find the right question but like what inspired your interest then in in the esoterica kind of thing were you you a musician first always and then kind of found your the link uh so my mum's a violin teacher so I've been playing musical instruments since I was three so I didn't (laughs) didn't have much say (laughs) in the matter in a very loving gentle sort of way uh so (laughs) music has just been my life really since day one uh and what's also been my life since day one is growing up in the church of Scotland because my Mum is a is a lay reader for the Church of Scotland, which basically means that she can take any services that don't involve communion. And my uh, dad is very involved in church music. He plays the organ for the Episcopalian church down the road. My grandparents and my aunts are elders in the Church of Scotland. It's um, I would describe myself as a church kid growing up. You know, I was very comfortable in mm-hmm. church buildings. Uh, you know, coloring books underneath the pews, mucking around, pulling on the bells, uh, mm-hmm. trying to make forts out of prayer mats. You know, it was that sort of that sort of vibe, and I I loved it. I had a I a wonderful time growing up in the church. It only felt welcoming to me, and it's been really interesting actually the last couple of years as someone who feels like they have a calling towards work that enables community and community space and work that 
involves some sort of leadership position. Um, it was only when I started looking into leadership positions in, in the church that I became aware that although the official tagline of the Church of Scotland was that LGBTQ people are welcome, when it gets to a legislative um, point of space, when it gets to a who do we let into the ministry point of space, it's a little different. And that's been a very disappointing journey to go on. So and you're it's allowed a, to yeah. worship, but you're not allowed to lead. Or you're allowed to lead, but you're not allowed to lead too loudly. So for instance, uh -huh. I was uh I applied and was very proud to get into uh our equalities group for the Church of Scotland. I won't say exactly what it was, but if you're involved in the Church of Scotland, you could probably have a guess. So mild tea. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh where <laughs> they were very keen on getting me in there as a young queer person um but once i got in there it was very clear that although they want lgbtq people in the church of scotland they're not prepared to have them there in a way that is um loudly affirming because they're worried that that will scare off older conservative parish members so, you know, you can go, you can even preach, you can be in the pulpit, but don't expect the Church of Scotland to, uh, yeah, stand up for you if someone's homophobic to you after the service, uh, because that's their point of view. And we should all be in the church together and we are all supposed to be there and we all have an equal right to be there. And that's their opinion. And it's like, well, that's not an opinion. That's a hate crime. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yes. uh, I shouldn't. Yeah. So I had issues with some of the language being used in the legislation that they were drawing up because they it was all very based around tolerance. So it was like, mm -hmm. we accept everyone in the church, including LGBTQ people. All are welcome here. It's like, OK, but you're including people who are intolerant of lgbtq people in that statement so therefore it is not inclusive and that was the message they didn't want to hear so long story short i've always been very involved with the church and i and i imagine i will always to some extent have a hand in it particularly when my family's involved in it but the last couple of years particularly with the pandemic giving more of an opportunity to step back and reflect it was like, it's not serving my spirit to be in this space at this time. And let's see what other expressions of the divine are out there. What other ways are there to connect with the other and have a full soul experience? And that kind of mm. has led me to explore things that probably would be more defined as, as witchcraft and uh, uh, paganism and and yeah really open myself up for other ways to explore myself and the universe around me and it's been a really beautiful process so far that I've really enjoyed exploring I'm really sorry to hear that there there's a difference between tolerance and acceptance really mm -hmm. and it's sounding like that that acceptance isn't really happening there and I hope that in the long term, they can find their way to that because I think they're going to increasingly find that uh, a lot of young people are going to be pushed away from wanting to, you know, join this form of spirituality yeah. because of issues such as these, which, mm -hmm. you know, is only going to make their congregation numbers smaller. But how do you then find your own personal resolve between this form of Christianity and paganism? I think I'm someone that has always resonated with the community aspect of church rather than necessarily what is, let's face it, a rather patriarchal <laughs> viewpoint in mm -hmm. terms of religion. Uh, and it's been used by the patriarchy. It's been weaponized by the patriarchy for hundreds of years. And that is a legacy that I think modern Christianity needs to radically speak address. to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it needs really, to speak really to, does. needs to address before mm. we can all move on with it being a religion that feels welcoming to everyone because it doesn't right now. 
Uh, and I think it's important to also mention that in the same equalities group, uh, black Church of Scotland members were talking about their experience in the church and they're experiencing profound racism. And they were being told much the same that I was being told of, you know, well, bums on seats above all else, even if you're a black minister and you know that a congregation member privately to themselves thinks it should be a white man up there. And mm-hmm. that is also completely unacceptable. You know, I think the whole car- house of cards is going to come down at some point soon because this is 2022. It's not, you know, this conversation's happening now outside of the church space that will eventually get in there, I think. Um, exactly. Definitely agree. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, it, I was never really a fundamental Christian in terms of my parents are very liberally minded they're they're massive socialists so uh, mm-hmm. it was never really the kind of christianity that was based around the understanding of needing to be saved or the other option was hell it was more the kind of christianity which was uh spirituality is good for the soul and this is an avenue to access that spirituality um, so I think it's probably been easier for me to step away from the institution um, than mm-hmm. it would be for someone that had grown up with more um, fundamentally Christian parents, for sure. sure. Yeah, and I think it's important that you address that because at its core, I'm not, I, you know, it's so funny. I'll always get DMs in, um, on Instagram saying, you're, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> you know, you need to find Jesus, ironically, as yeah. a which. <laughs> I found Jesus <laughs> and you know there's nothing wrong with Jesus like there he is anarchist, yeah anarchist good guy who wanted the best for the community you know arrested by the police like brown guy like how often do we see that story in today yeah Jesus news? was a badass yeah yeah um, <laughs> I've seen like a meme going around that like you know Jesus was great. It can be the fandom that's, <laughs> that skews the. <laughs> oh, I the love fandom that. that skews the story. That's great. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you've spoke to that because this idea for me of Christ consciousness it is it is a thing. But I guess in my belief, I understand it as an archetype as opposed to um, a prophet. But that's yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That's another story for another day. But thank you for speaking to that. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the more that you know about theology, and as the essentially the daughter of a minister, I had that experience growing up, the more you understand that none of the Bible was originally intended to be taken literally. We're using our uh, Western storytelling archetype understanding of what we think truth is, and applying it to a text that had a completely different understanding of what truth was meant to be, uh, particularly with the Old Testament, uh, where uh, Jewish society's understanding of how to relate to those texts and ours are so completely different. We've kind of got the wrong end of the stick, really, in Western uh, Christianity. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's quite likely that Jesus, as he is in the Bible, did not exist. There probably was. A guy from Nazareth who w- was a prophet and preached, um, you know, socialist ideals. There are a lot of prophets that were brown skinned and lived in that place in the world and preached socialist ideals at that point in time. And they were all mm-hmm. really interesting, amazing people. And they all uh, largely were a real thorn in the backside of the, you know, the, the, patriarch- government. the patriarchal <laughs> government of their day. Yeah. Um, and I don't think necessarily he has to be exactly as he's written in the Bible for us to take inspiration, as you're saying, from from that idea, from that archetype yeah. of someone that spoke truth to power, who truth turned power. over the t- turned over the tables outside the temple, said, "What are you doing? Yeah. You've taken it all the wrong way." Uh, yeah, cool guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We'd definitely be mates. He'd he would get him on the podcast, wouldn't we, Jay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i i find this like i just feel like this is such an important line of conversation about the church and the beauty of of the religion actually and the cultural beauty of the religions but but how 
the 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 place where actually in modern society there's there's a gap and and there, it, there's no diversity. I have um, family members who were deeply deeply religious but also gay mm. and they've been excommunicated and the journey that they've been through has been you know really sad to watch because it's this thing about the institution creating rules and standards that you have to adhere to and obviously as human beings we're so wonderfully unique that that never really works out um so I yeah. think I'm, I'm just really happy to have you on here so talking about it as somebody who identifies with the Christian ideals as well and can see the benefits of those but you know also has had this journey and I feel like it's um it's an amazing thing that you can stand in that place of not being the token and I say that like having been the token you know so anything that makes you diverse they want you in there but they don't like you're saying they don't want you to be too loud (laughs) and I just feel like that's you know it's a really important point to make um and actually I'm just like yeah well done babe well done for not just (laughs) sitting in it seriously um so I obviously you've spoken a little bit about what it's like to to be queer in Christianity I wanted to ask you more about how you're because you you mentioned in your bio um that you're a queer feminist writer and you're creating work that is really representative of you so what what kind of thing are you doing right now how are you representing yourself with your work uh yeah great question (laughs) um the most profound thing I've done in terms of honoring that part of my identity was that as you mentioned I did a a master's course uh in an an MLIT course in folklore and ethnology at the Elphinstone Institute uh here where I'm recording in Aberdeen it's very gray it's very cold it's Aberdeen what would you expect and so (laughs) for my for my master's uh thesis my paper at the end of the year 20,000 words I decided to do a ethnographic study on the impact of uh the queer folk collective that i'm in in scotland called boa frosh uh, which means rainbow in gaelic and basically an ethnographic study is just that i interviewed about 12 people maybe i did i did zoom interviews and then i transcribed a lot of those interviews which took a very long time and then once you've got the transcriptions of all your interviews You then basically, it's quite a scientific method. You then look through all those interviews, you work out what it is that you've discovered, and then you write up what it is that you realize you've discovered once you look back on all the different conversations you've had, uh, and then you come to some conclusions yourself. So it's a fairly simple uh, model of academic research, but it's tried and true, and it really produces some interesting results because it gives... I think it's the best model for giving the opportunity for people to uh, have a voice. So it mean it mean it meant that I was able to interview queer people that I knew living in Scotland and say, "How is it for you?" and then be able to use their actual words in the paper and say, "This person from this part of Scotland felt like this, but this part person from this part of Scotland felt like this." And what was beautiful about it was that although everyone had had different experience growing up uh, it seemed to be that if you were in the highlands and islands it was much more difficult to be a queer person overall and certainly a queer person playing folk music whereas if you were in the central Mm -hmm. belt it was a bit of an easier time of it Uh, everyone had had a really profound experience from joining Boa Frosh from being part of the queer folk collective and finding Mm -hmm. community with other people with their shared life experience so that was a really empowering thing to write about, really, and be like, yes, I am part of a movement of a collective that has meant a lot to all these people. And I get to write about them and share their stories. So that was profound. Yeah. Mm. I'm just so and interested. Then, I want to read this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, so then just to say that the icing on the top of the cake really was that there's this slightly old-fashioned folk magazine called The Living Tradition that's been around for a very long time and I pitched to them not really expecting them to take me on offering to write an article about this uh, paper that I'd done basically 
condense it into a couple thousand words so that it could be a magazine article. Uh, send in some pictures, etc. And they they accepted, and it and it got published, and I got my very first complaint letter, which I was very proud Woo. about. It means you're a real You've academic when you get your first complaint. You frame it. <laughs> <laughs> I did cut it out. It was very very funny. It was just exactly what you'd expect. It was great. <laughs> I love it. That's how we know. That's how we we've been measuring our success by how many people we piss off with our opinions and lives. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, I think that's amazing. Like, you know, I feel like for everybody, and I think this is also part like why we do this community Mm. identity. These are some of the most important things for all human beings, no matter where you're from, like to have people who think or feel or have lived similar experiences to you and then be able to join with them and share in that great such I just Mm. feel like human beings need that we need that level of support and understanding and I you know in this world at the moment I mean I have found it quite difficult to find my my tribe um and I just like respect anybody who is doing that work because it is some of the most important work for human beings I think it doesn't matter what it's about but the coming together um what um so do you practice any witchcraft or th- things like that do you actually do practice practices uh i would say i practice with a a small p <laughs> so i have in <laughs> my house uh a space that i call my altar space where i have um can candles and a space that represents the elements you know you've got air fire water earth um and pictures of family to link it to that idea of of ancestry of of people that have gone before and Mm -hmm. nature elements so at the moment it's looking very conquer and leaf y (laughs) and yeah, uh, yeah and when I get the chance, uh, I love to to take the time to to open open the circle in my own small way and just have the chance to to stand in that open space and connect, you know, connect with with mm-hmm. what's out there, connect with the larger space, which I find it meaningful to imagine uh, a Mother Earth archetype that that means something for me. So that's generally mm-hmm. who I would talk to in that space and generally feel like something's coming back on the other end of the telephone line as it were uh-huh. uh and that's that's what means a lot to me and I've also started as someone that that tours quite a bit and I, I've moved around a lot this uh this year doing gigs which has been lots of different things including fun not just fun but <laughs> one of the things that's been has been fun uh, sometimes you end up in spaces that really don't feel good and I'm someone that is very aware of that other people can be like this is just a hotel room and I'm like I'm not stepping foot in here I know energy is off (laughs) and so it's it's been really uh a really useful thing actually to have some uh items that mean something to me and like a little tea light and stuff that I just carry around with me and some sage and now uh it, I suppose bless the space I guess is what it basically mm-hmm. is of just being like okay I hear you <laughs> I don't want to be here either can we just you know <laughs> live and let live we for tonight mutually just be in the space so I'll be yeah. gone in the morning <laughs> just you know here's a shit ton of sage just (laughs) you do you I'll do me (laughs) and uh, that's really just those kind of small elements of I guess accessing alternative spirituality or spirituality with a small s um Mm -hmm. has been powerful powerful for me over the last year yeah I guess Scotland has quite a lot of those rich like saning saning cleansing the space Mm. with smoke that's um a scottish practice am, am i right in saying that i'm sure it is in some circles uh, again not in the church of scotland funnily enough <laughs> funnily enough no. so what really inspired you to like go for these sort of like that's quite an 
esoteric practice, having an altar and mm. you know, a candle and sage to clear out a hotel room. What sort of inspired you towards <laughs> these esoteric practices? Um, this is a wild story, so buckle up. Um, yeah, <laughs> I can see buckling happening. The audience needs to know there's there's physical buckling happening. They're ready. Um, I was at a church prayer retreat and uh in the midst of a meditation practice at this very christian prayer retreat i got the only vision that i've ever had in my life but it was very strong which was a tree growing up out of the ground and saying this is not the religion for you you need to practice paganism and it was like this is the wrong place for this (laughs) okay and it was it was this it was so bizarre and then kind of at the end of the session they were like so you know does anyone have any reflections on jesus christ and i was there like i feel so uh guilty right now that i've had a massive revelation of the wrong spiritual practice in this very christian prayer room um but you know, as someone that's not never really had any huge religious revelations, I mean, some people, when I went, I went to quite evangelical Christian summer camps. That was the closest I think I got to a more fundamental strain of religion that I went to evangelical summer camps. And they were very keen on us as 13-year-old little nerds uh, of having some sort of grand revelation from God already. And Mm. I always used to feel so bad about it because everyone would go around the room and be like, oh, yes, God spoke to me on Tuesday and told me to do this. And I just think I'm on the autistic spectrum, so I take everything very literally. So I'd be like. No, 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 uh, no, no massive voices from upstairs. So I guess (laughs) still no. And I'd be thinking, what am I doing wrong? As everyone else would be like, oh, yes. And in my head, they were sitting there and God was literally like talking in their ear like they were on a mobile phone with God. Where, of course, I highly doubt that that was what was happening to any of them. (laughs) So I hadn't really had an experience like that before that one. And if you've grown up in a religious practice, you grow up desperate for any kind of big sign like that, really or at least I did anyway, I was always looking for the big sign and it never seemed to come. So it was beautifully mm-hmm. ironic that the big sign was the wrong spiritual practice, as it were. <laughs> but I decided to just go for it, um, even though I was like, well, you were looking for a big sign. It wasn't the one you were expecting, but <laughs> sure. So I, I guess that was when I started looking into it. That was a couple of years ago. And then was still involved in the church, but gradually getting more and more interested in that side of things and so I I suppose when I decided to kind of formally take a break from Church of Scotland from formal Christianity it was something that I'd already explored a little bit I was already interested in and then I just need to do a massive shout out to uh, two wonderful uh, women who are very adept in the esoteric uh, uh, Claire Askew and Alice Tarbuck because they run really wonderful online courses all about witchcraft and they did a beginner's witchcraft course that right when I needed a beginner's witchcraft course so I I signed up for that and had a really great time and realized that I was really connecting with all the people that had come on this course even just through the zoom boxes it was like oh I think these are my people I think I was looking in the wrong place um Mm. this feels a lot more like home than you know a a church of scotland prayer group ever did just because i think they're if you're in a in your if you're in an alternative spirituality space where there's less of an established religious doctrine there is more acceptance of questioning i feel um and i'm someone that loves to overthink and question everything so i think maybe that's what i'm picking up that it's much more acceptable to have discussions and question things when there's not so much of a hard line doctrine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do I feel guess when, that in yeah. the sort of witch spaces. I think because to some extent 
that there is no codified document that is the you know this is our bible this is how we live um everyone's sort of getting to a place where they will have questions come up and then it becomes a matter of discussion and you know the cosmos and how it works it it becomes something that you discuss and engage in instead of saying no this is the right way this is the wrong way um it can feel a lot more accepting in that way that's definitely been my experience anyway yeah yeah I think it's you know I was literally getting chills when you told us your story about your vision um one because it's just I don't know some when you hear someone say something that's just completely and utterly real then sometimes you can really feel it and I really felt the reality of that for you that vision and and the change yeah and also I've had similar experiences and I think it's it's such a in my favorite word interesting interesting thing that you <laughs> I, know, I've, get... I, I enjoyed that I've 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 listened to enough <laughs> podcast episodes to know that you're trying to, to find a different word <laughs> I really need please help me out guys you know um <laughs> but that we have this idea and obviously if, especially if you're brought up in church and I was brought up Catholic that you know God is this thing that's what it is that's all it is and and you have to kind of understand that way of of it to it to, to be able to work with it and when I started to get into this my spiritual journey a bit more with um through my own choice I struggled because I started to do lots of dabbling which I think a lot of people do so you know you dabble you do your beginner's witchcraft course and then you you know you you may never do this but a lot of us just go over to India and do some stuff in India <laughs> we go over somewhere else and do whatever <laughs> and I and I remember feeling really lost and feeling very much like you know I was a Catholic and then I was a Wiccan and now I'm like in India studying all this Vedic stuff and actually none of that feels right to me, even though I feel the power in all those places and it's the same in all of those places. It's not different when I sit in church or if I sit in temple, it's the same. Um, and I remember being, um, I'd gone to see this guru called Amma at her ashram and at the time I was really heavily studying um, shamanism. And that was feeling so at home for me. And so it like, just made sense in the way that I thought about things and the way I saw the world, it made sense. I remember going and getting her blessing and, you know, the vibration was so high there. It was so, so high. And I asked her mentally, like, please, please, please just let me know if this is the path that I'm supposed to be on. And as I stepped away from her, I literally on this stage, I thought I was going to pass out. The whole space just changed. It went completely white. And then I just saw, it was like this veil moved and I just saw this fire. And in shamanism, we, we pray with, the, we call it great fire, the fire for great spirit, basically. So we always have a fire. And it just kind of like made me feel like I was able to move off and do what I wanted to do in the way I wanted to do it. I'd had that kind of like confirmation from my higher self, God, you know, whatever you want to look at. And it actually was so massively life-changing. So yeah, that thank you for that story guys and like also listeners please realize that you don't have to do things the way that people say you have to do them god your higher self spirit will talk to you and will open up the door for you if you listen like believe me trust yourself before all all others that's my opinion anyway um (laughs) so so i feel like i've gone another another long tangent jay do you want to bring us back I I come here for the Nikki tangents. This is this is what we should just call it, the Nikki tangent podcast. Nikki tangent show, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I I will kind of want to get back into your your music because I'm so very fascinated by that, and I kind of want to know how that your music and your your newfound configuration of your spirituality like blend together to make you you Mm. Mm. yeah uh it's tbc (laughs) um (laughs) it felt really great to be able to do something like the magical women's conference where it's a space where i was able to bring uh my more esoterically minded personal identity my work as an academic and my work as a folk musician together into one thing and that was the first time that I'd had a go at bringing those three strands of my being 
together and I was really pleased at how good it felt it you know it, it felt really nice to be standing up there holding multiple aspects of my identity in one place in a way that didn't feel uncomfortable it just felt really natural so that's uh good for me to kind of think about okay how am I going to do that again because that felt great <laughs> uh I think some the most important thing I do for honoring who I am as a person is choosing who I work with so mm. for instance I that might be just working with people who their energy and my energy really work well together like the fact that I've worked with Daisy Chute for instance in my eternally long bio that you did so well reading out there at the start <laughs> she, she was mentioned <laughs> uh, I love working with Daisy because we get on well we work well together and it's an easy relationship that doesn't need much energy either way in terms of there being friction. Like we're on the same wavelength basically. And so that feels right. Or working with Lewis Barfoot, who is someone who um, I know I've heard her talking about how she feels that her music is more of a spiritual practice than anything else. She uses m music to uh, speak to uh what what she would describe of as the historic pain of the feminine uh so for instance her latest album that she's working on is about the intergenerational trauma that women have experienced in ireland in terms of mm. the catholic church there and um you know not being able to be in in control of their own bodies and having their children taken mm. away from them and the shaming of female sexuality and ownership of self and mm. it's important for me that I'm part of work like that as well that I'm part of work that is um is doing something it's it's so much fun to get up on a stage and play some fiddle tunes and have a great time and play for a dance or play to make people smile because that's a very important part of human experience too but I think for me personally as an artist, I also need to be involved in projects that are speaking to something bigger as well. Mm. More of like social justice or what do you mean by bigger? Uh, yeah, social, social justice is a big thing for me. I think mm -hmm. folk music, I think I spoke a little bit about this at the conference, but for me, folk music is the genre the musical genre of the people and it has a responsibility as a genre to talk about the societal issues that are happening right here right now rather than it being something that's all about the issues of the past and Lacey, Lady Masery for instance are a great folk band down in England that are doing exactly that their latest album has issues such as uh violence against women on on the streets and how that's still a massive problem at night uh they've got a song all about that and that experience of what it's like to be a woman and how your your experience is someone that has to be careful at night and why and how and how it shouldn't be so and that's the kind of thing that they're talking about in their modern folk music and that's the kind of thing that i'm like yes you understand what folk music's for you know <laughs> So for you, folk music has this, has a much higher purpose than just getting across a nice little tune that we all sing together on a Friday night. Yeah, definitely. And another thing that I talked about a little bit in my talk was that how folk music isn't inherently a progressive or left wing or socialist or however you want to label it genre. It can be very right wing it can be fundamentally uh um nationalist and it's up to us to decide how we're going to use it as a genre whether we're going to use it to whip up nationalist fervor like the example that i used in my talk was in in nazi germany or whether we're going to use it um you know like the ewan mccall's of the 1960s and use it to bring about change it's our choice really mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
there just, we are mic, mic drop <laughs> <laughs> it, it is it is a big a big mic drop music because a moment music big mic drop moment because i do feel that we we have art in all of its configurations to be able to tell a story to be able to tell an experience um to be able to bring comfort to others in our community or be able to progress as a community by you know expressing what outrages exist and you know if if you're not doing that as an artist then I feel like a huge opportunity has been missed there like a massive massive opportunity has been missed there um I I often like to I I do love my music so I, I will look back at things like early punk or really early rap where these were tools that were used to be able to express mm. the times of the respective people and it just feels like so much of that has come so far away from it it's now just this like it, it it's it, it's purely purely frivolous you know it, it it's purely there to get drunk to and that mm-hmm. for me isn't why we put art out into the world yeah stormzy to be fair does uh <laughs> <laughs> stormzy's pretty cool i do like a bit of stormzy yeah we like we do like stormzy <laughs> um yeah actually let me just find I made notes, guys. I made notes. Oh, that's oh. fabulous. You're so <laughs> prepped. I love it. Uh, there were, um, there's two uh, women who are, in particular, who are doing really interesting things right now in the folk scene that I thought I would just give a shout out to, just in terms of talking about folk music that's making a difference and has something to say. In particular, I think one of the folk artists that, is really honouring that to its fullness right now is um, Angeline Morrison, who you might have heard of down in England. Maybe. Maybe ringing a bell? Uh, <laughs> uh, so her new album that just came out um, is called The Sorrow Songs, Folk Songs of the Black British Experience. Uh, and she's got a Jamaican mother and a Scottish father and grew up in England. And... Uh, I've, I wrote down this quote, actually, because I think it's just such a good summary of what I've heard from my um, friends with dual heritage that are in the folk scene or in the music scene even, which is, I can count on one hand the times I've been in a folk club with other people of colour. And I think yeah. that just kind of yeah. is the main problem with the folk scene at the moment, summarised in one sentence, really. But her mm-hmm. her album, which has is, is just come out, there's a really interesting interview with her that The Guardian did last month, so that's um, October 2020, of, of now, um, mm-hmm. where this whole album is songs that she wrote about Black British experience, and what she's trying to do is get them into the folk club repertoire so that there's the the folk history experience which is sung about in these English folk music spaces is not just the white English experience. So it's like a wonderful call to arms that she's like, sure, these songs aren't old, but they're she's written them honoring the style of old folk songs. And they're about the parts of history that have been eradicated up to this point in the, the white folk experience about black history. And she's saying, learn these songs, start singing them. And then we can retrospectively fit in other experience into the folk English folk music uh, canon. So, yeah, big fan. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah, very cool. This, I'm definitely going to need to listen to, arms to make this space um, more of the different types of stories that we're seeing in the UK now in 2022, 21st century, mm-hmm. because it, it is different from hundreds of years ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, the more of us get crammed into this tiny island <laughs> more of us are, are gonna have these interesting stories that can be using the the style the songs of this land to to contain that history i think that's beautiful mm. yeah really beautiful. and up up in scotland at the moment uh the bit collective which is our 
group championing equality for uh, non-male identifying uh, folk artists in Scotland. So that's kind of the work that we're trying to push forward a bit, really. Uh, Joni Bones is a, a Persian and Ashkenazi Jewish uh, singer who's moved up to Scotland and uh, English, but is is now based in Scotland. And she wrote a really important, I think, blog for the Bit Collective called 20 Years On Experiences of Ethnic Diversity in the Trad Scene. And she starts her blog with a really unacceptable statistic, which is that 100% of the intake for the BMUS traditional music course um, at the Royal Scottish Conservatoire for the past six years have been Caucasian students. And mm. that is not what Scotland looks like in the 21st mm. century. So what's what's going wrong there? That's, yeah. you know, that's not modern Scotland. Why are, why are modern Scots not feeling welcome to play their own their own folk mm. culture? Um, yeah. So she's she's trying to start that conversation. And another of the points that she points out is that when she talks to Creative Scotland about trying to make uh, young people of colour feel more welcome in the Scottish folk music sector, they're like, oh, yeah, it'd be great to get music of other ethnicities in there. And she's like, no, these are these are Scottish people. We're trying to get them involved in Scottish music. Scottish music. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, the African music. And she's like, no, they're Scottish. <laughs> it's Strathspeys. That's like what we're trying to get them into. So there's just that. There, there does seem to be that pushback still of if you're not white, you're a different kind of Scottish. Or just like behind mm. the times, really, on, on understanding that it should be for all all Scottish people. You know, it's for everyone that lives in Scotland. That's that's the only remit. And everyone that doesn't live in Scotland, you know, music sh- yeah. shouldn't have barriers, I don't think. But no. uh, yeah, so she's doing some really interesting work. It's starting to, to push conversations happening in those spaces as well. I'm so grateful think- that you've brought all of this to our attention. This isn't even something that I think I would come into with probably the circle of people I'm around so now I can I feel Mm. like (laughs) I can take this all back and you know get more of these discussions going on with people that I know and that's what it's about right um spreading Mm. the folk music getting it to come back getting people more involved with it um it's been absolutely fabulous yeah, and I think particularly in England with Cecil Sharp, and I moaned about Cecil Sharp at the conference, and I'll moan about him again. Uh, <laughs> there's been a... He really deliberately narrowed the field of who felt welcome in the English folk music scene. It was very deliberate. It was very calculated. It was toxic, white, hegemonic patriarchy working in action in a very calculated mm-hmm. sort of way so for instance women were very welcome to dance morris dancing before he got involved and he decided that that should be men and we're still living with that oh. legacy now oh my gosh and not yeah a ton of sense why i've only ever seen male morris dance <laughs> men yeah yeah so he when he was championing the dance form he championed male only troops because they were getting the support and the attention and the eftis clout behind them of course that's what's going to succeed um Mm -hmm. and he co-founded or at least had a lot of help with founding eftis from a woman uh, who is then and i i think her name was mary neil and i will uh I'm just going to double check that right now so that I'm not <laughs> saying the wrong name because I <laughs> it would be terrible if I gave her the wrong name but uh yeah Mary was uh someone that was also around at the same time in those spaces and was uh, then written out of history and in a in a very kind of again deliberate way um yes her name was mary neil yes and 
Cecil Sharp didn't like the fact that she should get any of the credit, so he rather wrote her out of history. So there's been this deliberate... Um, yeah, as I was saying, a, de a deliberate narrowing of who feels welcome in the English folk music sector. And it's mm -hmm. time to open that back up. And Eftis is doing great work in doing that. So I think it's coming. It is coming. Wonderful. So glad to hear thank it. So, thank we you, Essa. Uh, honestly, I feel like I've gone back to school today, like in the best possible <laughs> in way. A, in a fun oh, yeah. way, I hope. Do you know what? Yes, in a we very fun way. This but... another time, but I love school. <laughs> I love learning at school. That that was what I liked. Okay, I, that's I, a, that's I another. That's another I love learning, but not not at school. You're not at school. Like, I love learning. To... <laughs> I love learning new things. The, I love that you've the come beauty on of... and you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for having me. I feel so honored to be invited to be in this space, and I've had a lovely time. It's been so great. Oh, we've thank loved you. talking to you. Like it's just, it is amazing, and the way you speak, Esther, is so you speak so beautifully and clear. It's so easy to understand you. Do you know what I mean? And that that makes a difference as well when it comes to like being able to receive this level of like important information. Um. Gosh, there is just like a thousand things that I could ask you now still, <laughs> but we won't. Um, will you tell us, just now is the moment to plug yourself. So give us your Instagram, your website, your SoundCloud, whatever gigs are coming up, all of that kind of stuff. Let us know. Great. Uh well, who knows if Twitter will still be a thing by next week, let alone. As of the twentieth so, of November, Twitter has melted. Yeah. No, I don't know. It might be gone by next week. Who knows? So I'll skip Twitter to be safe. Um yeah, my my Instagram is at uh E S S A F L E Double T. So that's E Double S A F L E Double T. Um and then uh yeah that's probably where you can find me the most if you're old school i'm on i have a facebook official page uh, under <laughs> elizabeth flett uh i'm on spotify if you fancy checking me out there uh you can hear my ep barbed wire goodbyes which is on spotify and on barb and on Bandcamp, where you can buy it which is always my favorite option <laughs> i get money yes. right. go, uh, go buy it go buy it <laughs> it's an EP that I'm really proud of and I made it in 2020 because there was nothing else to do and uh, it's all about uh, refugee experience and uh, exploring um, yeah our what we need to do as people living here compared to refugee experience and there's a song in particular that I'm still really proud of called Successful War which is about uh, World War One and Britain's ongoing relationship with the arms trade. That uh, if you listen to anything that I've written, I would recommend Successful War because I'm really proud of that one. Um, so yeah, check me out there. Come say hi. I'm very friendly, and uh, I'm in London lots of the time. I do quite a few things in London. So if you're based there or if you're based in Scotland, I'm sure I will be somewhere near you at some point. There we are. <laughs> wonderful thank you so much essa um you're so knowledgeable and so passionate and that passion comes through so clearly with everything that you put out we're just so happy to have you here today well thank yeah, you it's, it's been, been so nice it's been really fun thank you um, so much so essa. thank you <laughs> thank Yay. you dear listener for being here um make sure you give essa a follow like go to the band camp buy the stuff spotify's there as backup <laughs> but we, we want to be supporting more of these arts um in a way that's actually going to put those that energy flow back into the artists you know as opposed to the big giants uh, who have their pockets filled um yeah exactly. thank you for being here i've been jay percy and i'm nicola roth and we will catch you next week bye guys bye.
son to your, your father's man stripped yourself of feeling as fast as you can it's been this way since always began you were your mother's son but you are your father's man flowers are for girls and fights are for boys gender-coded clothes and gender-coded toys girls are for quiet but are for noise. No wonder you only know how to destroy. To destroy. You were your mother's son, but you're your father's man. Stripped yourself of feeling as fast as you can. It's been this way since our ways began. You were your mother's son. Pretend taught you its intended lesson But to be a real man is to live in pressure In Your father's man Stripped yourself of fear